I do have to admit, ladies eat better than men, right? No doubt. So glad that you're here this morning. Hope you're about, open your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 8. We're about to dive right into that. But before that, I want to go back and mention something Emma talked about just for a moment. Two weeks from today is Friend Day. That's one of the biggest days of the year for us. And we want you to be engaged with us inviting friends. Your elders, we found out last week, have committed to invite 92 people. Your ministers have committed to invite 93 people. That's really a lie. That's really a lie, okay? The ministers have actually committed to invite 91 people. I don't know how we couldn't find two more. But, of course, the elders always win, right? So, what I want to challenge you is um, this is just a perfect opportunity. And a little invitation card will help you to invite people to come and to experience our church and to experience Jesus Christ. And so, please be making a list. It's just two weeks from right now of who you're going to invite. And let's pack this place out. And for many, many people, this is a first step toward Jesus Christ. There were two ladies walking out of church. One said to the other, my, that preacher certainly preaches long. The friend said, no, he didn't preach that long. It just seems like it was that long. I, I don't like either one of those, do you? Well, today when we get to Nehemiah, he We're going to hear a long sermon. It's going to be six hours. But here's the amazing thing. It didn't really seem that long. And we're going to find out why. So as we get to the climax of the book of Nehemiah here in chapter 8, Nehemiah is going to turn from the rebuilding of the wall to the rebuilding of the people. It took him 52 days to rebuild the wall. But Nehemiah looks around and there's something missing. They've got all the outward conformity. They've got the wall. There's physical security, but there's not spiritual strength. We all know that often an organization can have all the right employees, the right facilities, do all the right things, and still not have heart. I mean, just think about Notre Dame yesterday in Texas A&M. My goodness. Their facilities, their money, their coaches, nothing compares to the teams that beat them. But somehow there was some heart missing. And when it comes to God's people, we we, we can all look good, but unless there's an internal change, it's really not worth much. And so Nehemiah 8 is where this happens. So I want you to stand, and George Connor is going to come and read us in Nehemiah chapter 8. Stand out of reverence for God's Word. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate, From early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood 
Mattatiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashum, Hashbadanah, Zechariah, and Mashulam on his left. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his own roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from uh, the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. And the church said? Please be seated. Thank you, George. Great job with all those words. That's why I wanted you to read. I was really pretty impressed by that. 
Now, as we look through this chapter, let me give you a quick outline of what actually happens in this chapter. We are challenged, first of all, to revere the Word. Uh, Second, we're challenged by this example to respond to the Word. And then we'll be challenged to remain in the Word. Now, if you look back at those first four verses, you, you will see that Nehemiah is wise enough to know that he needs to bring Ezra along. We know Ezra, from Ezra's own book, was learned in the book of the law. And Nehemiah is a smart enough leader to know he might be really good at building the wall, but he needs somebody to come in and to preach. And so if you look at those first four verses there, you'll see that. Go on with me to verse 5, if you would. And it says, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and he opened it all... And all the people stood. I love, love, love this scene. It's powerful. They all stand. Ezra reads. And then here's the cool thing. In verse 7 we see, the Levites helped the people to understand the law. So you got this incredible scene of Ezra in front, the people standing, Ezra reading the law, then the Levites out in in my book interpreting the law making it real to people. So here's some point under revering the Word. First of all, we've got to exalt the Word of God. I mean, here in this chapter, it physically happens. They build a great stand for Ezra to be above all the people so that the Word of God might come. Many of us probably remember when people in certain traditions would stand up to read the Word. And at the end of that, they would say something like this, This is the Word of God for the people of God. And I don't know if you've been in one of those churches, but their response is beautiful. At the end of the reading, thanks be to God. There is something about putting the Word at a high place. Some older church buildings you may have been to, you think this is really weird, but the pulpit is way up here and there's a circular staircase. Why did they do that? It was to exalt the Word of God and to revere it. And today, the way we do that is with a high view of Scripture. You see, what is your view of Scripture? A high view of Scripture says this is authoritative and this rules over my life. A low view of Scripture says these are some cool writings and there's some good stuff in here, but basically I can choose what I obey and don't. So I want to ask you this morning, do you have a high view of Scripture? Do you live under the Word of God or do you live over the Word of God? You also see here that they hungered for the Word. I mean, guys, it blows our mind that these people could stand six hours. For many of us, just to stand a few moments, just a couple minutes ago, was a little bit awkward because we're not used to listening to that kind of reading. But it says not only did they stand, but they were attentive. The time I've seen this in my life is when the Iron Curtain came down and you know, lots of us were able to go over there and preach. I actually went to an area of the Ukraine that now is in Russian occupation, a city called Gorlovka. And it was awesome but because you would go and you just could, could advertise a place where the Word of God was going to be preached. And you could preach for hours and they wouldn't care. And if they found out they could get a Bible, um, you remember those long lines behind the Iron Curtain of people lined up for hours just to get a copy of God's Word. And you see, here's what the psalmist says. 
Blessed are those who delight in the law of the Lord and who meditate it day and night. Now, here's what's amazing about what we're reading here. Because they're not meditating or even reading the Gospels. They're reading from the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. As most of us know, that all good yearly Bible reading plans die in Leviticus. Right? Anybody ever done that? And yet these people have such a reverence for God's Word, for even just listening to the laws of God, that they stand. So they exalted the Word, they hunger for the Word, and they explain the Word. That's what I love about the Levites. The Levites made it clear. Understand this, guys. The purpose of preaching is to make the Word of God clear. It was not enough simply to read the Word. That was awesome. But our job is to take it and make it applicable to your life. And that's why you see Jesus, the master teacher. Oh, certainly Jesus referred to Scripture, but Jesus told stories after stories. And that's why when you listen to a preacher, you better expect him to be able to make analogies and use illustrations and and tell stories to bring it down where you can understand it, where I can understand it. I mean, you look across an audience like today. We have people everywhere from probably five years old or younger to, you know, 90-something. And yet this Word has got to touch all of us. And so I'm going to challenge you. It's not always going to meet your need exactly because there's a lot of people here. But what our job is is to take this Word and to make it real in your life. We know the Word's relevant. The question is, can we make it real in our life? You see, I've I've heard preachers before, and you're impressed. You go, that dude, he quoted 57 passages. I was counting. That's good. But if they didn't apply to your life, if they didn't make sense to you, Nehemiah would say that's not good. So the challenge is for us to listen to the Word of God. And then finally, it's to apply the Word. There's got to be more than just information given. There must be transformation. There's lots of people you've known and I've known who knew the Word of God back and forth, who can quote scriptures like crazy, and yet they're not living it out. You see them outside of here and their language and their behavior and the way they treat people really has nothing to do with what God says, though they might be to quote a bunch of verses. There's a lot of damage to the cause of Christ. So go back with me to another passage, one more passage here. Go back to verse 6, because I love what this said. This is their response. We're going to start talking about their response. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered. Amen. Amen. We talked about this last week. They're lifting their hands. What's lifting hands about, guys? It's nothing freaky. It's simply saying, Lord, I submit to you. I want you to pour into me. I'm going to be obedient to you. Lifting their hands. They bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. I like what my friend Josh Roberts told me about this passage. He said, maybe we're not lifting our hands or bowing down or planting our faces on the ground very much because we're not standing in reverence to the Word of God very much. And here's what I want you to see. Their first response when they hear the Word of God is to worship. And guys, this is the perfect position of worship, because the word worship literally means in the Hebrew language to bow down, to kiss toward. 
You see, when the Word of God is read and understood, we will begin to understand there's a great gap between God and His holiness and His Word and my life. And when I see that great gap, I want to bow down toward Him. You see, the Word of God is not just a revelation of the commandments of God. It's a revelation of God. It's of His character. And whenever we spend great time in the Word of God, we're going to be humbled and on our face before God because there's this incredible distance between us. The gap is clear. And so this morning, I'd like us to stop for a moment, and I'd like us just to to simply worship God together. Let, Let me share something as the worship team comes up here. There's been so much over this past week about Queen Elizabeth. But this is the most inspiring thing I heard. Most of you know that Queen Elizabeth was an incredibly strong believer and, and had a great and deep faith. And, and one day she said to a chaplain, I wish the Lord would come back in my lifetime. And the chaplain asked her, why? And then with quivering lips and a heart full of emotion, she said, I should love to lay my crown down at his feet. This morning, as we stand in the presence of God, we need to bow and recognize him as the only true king. Let's all stand and sing together. So, when the word of God is listened to and applied, the first response is for us to, to worship him. And yet, as we keep reading uh, in Nehemiah 8, we see them struggling a little bit here. In fact, when the Word of God is read in front of them, the people seem to begin sort of just to freak out. It seems like they've not heard it. They've heard it. They're getting convicted, and they don't know exactly what to do. Go back to chapter 8, verse 9. And Nehemiah, who is the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way. Eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is a holy day to our Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I love this. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that had been declared to them. What's going on here? They begin to weep. They begin to be convicted in the presence of the Word of God. And, and, And Nehemiah and Ezra have to interrupt them and say, no, this is not the time to be sad. This is not the time to to mourn. This is the time to celebrate. And so, guys, when we encounter the Word of God, it's a time for us to celebrate. And then the coolest thing happens in this passage, maybe you remember this as George is reading in verse 14, they discover something that either they didn't know about or they had forgotten about. Verse 14, and they found it written in the law of the Lord had commanded by Moses the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. They rediscovered this old feast, which is one of the major Jewish feasts. It's called the Feast of the Booths. Now, to us, 
it's a really, really weird feast. Because what everybody does is they go gather limbs and they build these what we'd call lean-tos. And everybody has to go live in them for a week. You can't live inside your house. You've got to go live. Now, what, what was this about? It was a commemoration of, of God's people and God's provision as they had walked out of Egypt safely. And they had wandered in the wilderness. It, it was a time to say, you know what? This is what God's people went through. And yet God was faithful. And so they are willing to stop move out and celebrate this incredible feast. Because here's what's happened with them. It's so cool that this comes at the same time. God's been doing this for them. They've been in exile. They've been brought back to the Jewish homeland. And now is the opportunity for them to be obedient to everything God has said. So they move out of their houses and they celebrate. And the Bible says there had never been a celebration like this. There's some great joy in discovering truth in God's Word. You know, the beginning of the movement that, that we're a part of, the restoration movement. Many of these people had grown up in churches where infant baptism was practiced, and they said, let's just open the Bible. And in the midst of that, they discovered that in the Bible, it was a believer's baptism. And, and that became a big part. They immediately just stopped in the moment. And and despite the fact they'd been following Jesus for years, they stopped and were baptized. That had to be an exciting moment. I I think of uh, my brother Josh Horton over here. And uh, when Dave Clayton was here almost this time last year, Dave Clayton in one of his messages just mentioned fasting and the power of fasting. And Josh said he'd really never heard much about that. In fact, for most of us growing up, we thought that was sort of a weird thing. And Josh just dived into studying everything he could about fasting. How you do it, when you do it, the purposes you do it. And over those next few months, Josh entered a great fast for God. And now he's leading the, the Man Up group into a, a communal fast this Wednesday. And I, I just, we've watched Josh because I know him well. And just the excitement of discovery. Here's something in God's Word I've never seen. And my response is not to go, man, that's so weird. I can't do that. I don't see anybody else around me doing that. It's to go, my, God's going to bless us and we can be obedient. So what happens? How do we respond to the word? Here's some things we've learned. We worship, we repent, and we obey. You, you see, what Satan would like you and I to do is to keep this academic. What God would want us to do is to make this be a part of our life. And that's what happens here. Their reverence for God's Word leads to submission to God's Word. Let me let you in on a dirty little secret. The world's way is not working. It's just not working. I mean, whenever a culture rejects the Word of God and tries to do things their own way, I mean, we see the, the, you know, the desecration of that culture. And today we're experiencing that. To live outside of the will of God is not to work. How in the world do we think? If there was a God who created us, who knows everything about us, who knows what will make us happy, what will make us sad, who knows what will make our life meaningful, how in the world can we think life's going to be okay when I walk out from underneath that authority? 
So we've got to be in obedience. We had a great speaker in this room Wednesday night for our man church meeting, Rich Wingo, and he gave a great talk. But I'll tell you, what really convicted me is what he said about marriage. He challenged us about three areas of our marriage. First of all, are you as husband and wives praying together? Second, are you both studying the Bible? And third, do you attend church together? Now here's the point he made. There had been a survey of 39,000 married couples and they found out if they did these three things, prayed together, studied scripture, went to church together, out of 39,000 couples, only one couple had had a divorce. Because I'm telling you, the Word of God works. When we do what God expects out of us, our lives are better. And then you saw it back in verse 10. Let me show you verse 10 again. Um, they begin to celebrate. It was just, just an amazing day. They're there to eat the fat and drink sweet wine. Guys, the, these folks, when they cut their steaks, they didn't cut the fat out. Uh, you, you know and I know, and, and maybe they knew better than we do, that's the best part. And you know, and you know when they'd offer sacrifice to God, they'd offer God the fat part too. So they stopped, man, they got some big juicy steaks, they've got good drink, and they are celebrating together. And here's the cool thing, they're also sharing it with the people around them who aren't a part of this. And then go down to verse 17. And all the assembly of those who returned from captivity made booths. They lived in the booths. For from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to the day the people of Israel had not done so. They'd just been living in disobedience to this command. But when you obey, look what you do. And there was very great rejoicing. Very great rejoicing. Because when we submit ourselves to the will of God, it leads to a place of a communal meal where we celebrate together. It's like the story I told you last week about my friend Joe McReynolds. He had a practice with his children. If they had done something wrong and they had been punished and they were in trouble, the moment they repented and changed their mind, he celebrated. And guys, we have a God who when you repent and you turn toward him, he doesn't put you on probation. He doesn't hold your sin over you. In fact, he doesn't even remember it. He stops and we celebrate. Listen, my brothers and sisters, I talk to too many people that are still living in guilt about things they did 10 or 20 years ago. And I want you to know that is not of God. God, God wants you to put that behind you. He wants you to recognize your forgiveness and move on. That is absolutely of Satan. What, what does Satan want? You, you're out of that sin. You're not committing that sin. You've been forgiven by God. But what he wants you to do is live in perpetual guilt. And, and if you're doing that this morning, I tell you, God's telling you to stop. God's telling you the moment of repentance is a moment of celebration. So I love this picture. Because the Word of God led to this table. If you've read what we've read closely, they say this is going to be a holy day. They, they begin to gather together to eat together. By the wording of words like portions, that's a sacrificial kind of meal. 
It seems like this holy day is turning into place. Not just they eat together, but they sacrifice together. They share this table together. Sometimes I'm afraid we have misunderstood the concept of table, especially the Lord's table. Because this is a, a long-term concept. In the Old Testament, you had, the, you had sinners, you had sacrifice, and then they would meet at the table to celebrate their forgiveness. The table was not a place of sadness, wasn't a place of guilt, it was a place of celebration. And guys, when we come to the New Testament, the same pattern is there. We've sinned, we are forgiven by the the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus, and then here's what we do even today. We meet around the table to celebrate what God has done. And this morning, as you and I take communion, we've got a great example here from Nehemiah that this was not an individual response. This was a communal experience. It was a place of inclusion for the people who couldn't afford to be a part of that. They made sure that they were invited in. It was a place of equality. Listen closely to me. When you've lived in a booth for seven days, you don't think you're better than anybody else. When you've lived out among the sticks, everybody is on equal ground. And when we come to communion today, guys, we're all on equal ground. We're all forgiven. We're all dependent. So I love how this this chapter ends. They've revered the Word of God. They've responded And a part of their response is not simply to repent, not simply to obey, but it is to stop and celebrate. My brothers and sisters, think how much more motivated we would be for living for Jesus if every time the Word of God convicted us and we changed, we stopped, and we celebrated. And so today, I'm about to pray And we're going to take communion together. I hope you have your communion supplies. If not, they're out among the worship center. And I want to remind you again that we're here. We're not here making the sacrifice. This is not the moment of sadness. The sacrifice has already been made. We are here to celebrate what God has done for us. Let's pray together. Lord, God, we thank you so much, Father. God, that you gave your son as a once-for-all sacrifice for us. And Father, the sacrifice has been made. And now we meet around the table, honestly, to eat the sacrifice, to partake symbolically of the body and the blood of Jesus. And unlike how many of us may have been brought up, this is not a time of guilt and of sadness, as we partake of these emblems and what they represent, it represents our salvation. And Father, Satan would want to keep us in long-term guilt because he can destroy our joy and our witness. But you have given us this weekly reminder that we are a forgiven people and that together we are your people. Bless us as we protect today. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. I hope you've um, enjoyed as much as I have. Please be seated. Uh, studying through this chapter today and actually allowing it to, to be the outline for our worship. You know, we've been challenged this morning, and this is the, the point where we respond to revere the Word of God, to respond to the Word of God. And then if you get into chapter 9, the challenge is for us to remain in the Word of God. It, when you get in chapter 9, they begin to change their day. They read from the book of the law a quarter of the day, and then for another quarter of the day, they confess their sins and they worship. Now, why would they do that? Because we know the tendency of God's people to drift from the will of God. I mean, the history of Israel is them coming back and repenting and slowly but surely falling away. And then maybe coming back, but it's never consistent. And so Nehemiah knows that. It's true about us. Think how, 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 I mean, how many of us can leave this, this message not convicted? How many of us actually believe that we would be okay standing for six hours as the Word of God would be preached? Six hours, read. How many of us think, man, that would be awesome? And yet, to me, that's very convicting. I can't quite imagine that. And this is a great place of conviction of the Word of God. But as they responded to the Word of God, they're convicted, and yet then they are able to celebrate. Because we understand this. You know, not only do they confess in chapter 9, they have to sign a written covenant of their obedience. You know, we need that, don't we? Today we commemorate the 21st anniversary of 9-11. Seems like just yesterday, doesn't it? And you remember what happened to our country right after 9-11? Churches were filled. People thought there was going to be a long-term revival in our country because people were so convicted of the frailty of life and the need for God. And yet, if we'd be honest, it lasted about six months. And that's why Nehemiah knows, not only must we just say, we're going to put the Word of God on a pedestal, and we're going to respond, but we must remain in the Word of God. And so today, as you respond to this message, you may need to come up front here and and simply say, I need to rededicate myself to living under the authority of God's Word. That'd be an incredible confession. Or, Or maybe today is the day that You know, there's a command in God's Word that you've just not obeyed, and and today you're convicted about that. You see, what scares me about this, the more I read this passage, the more I look at the way my life and I think our lives go, it seems to me for people to really appreciate the Word of God the way we ought to, it has to be taken away from us. That's what happened in the Soviet Union. Man, if you got to go over there, man, those people were hungry for the Word of God. That's what happens in Nehemiah's day. Somehow they've not not heard it. And, And here's my prayer for you and I is that it doesn't take 
God having to take his word away for us to come to this appreciation because I think practically as we look across culture and we look about the dissolution of the family and we look at all the problems in our culture today, we can see what happens when the word of God is taken out of the public square. I love the story of this Russian comedian. It was back when atheism was the state religion of the Soviet Union. And he had this act in when he dressed up as a, Greek ortho, a Russian Orthodox priest. And he wore a robe, and his stick was to make fun of the Beatitudes. And, and so um, he would sing this song with the Beatitudes. He was a drunken priest. There was wine stains on his robe and everybody would laugh as he would go through the attitudes and he'd come to blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and he would replace the words with things like blessed are those who hunger and thirst for vodka and everybody thought it was so very funny and then one day he got up to do his act and something happened He remembered what his grandmother had taught him years ago. And this time when he sang the Beatitudes, he didn't make fun of it. He didn't fill in weird things. He simply sang the Beatitudes as they were written in Scripture. And by the end of his performance, he had fallen to his knees to surrender his life to Jesus. And as far as we know, this man was later thrown in some prison for his faith. But it shows you the power of God's Word. That when I listen to it, when I allow it to go deep in my heart, it'll change me. Because the New Testament says this this book is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's not a sword to hurt you. It's actually, the word there is of a surgeon's scalpel. It, it, it's, a, it's a tool to heal you. And that's why this morning, before we begin to sing, and you have a chance to public respond, and before you walk out of here and have a chance to respond by going into a Bible class and listening to the Word of God, respond in your home to reverencing the Word of God, here's what I want to say to you. This could be a real guilt trip day. I, I really don't know anybody who would say, I... I read my Bible enough. I've not run into that person. I'm not that person. I I don't know many of us that would really say, if we announced this afternoon back in the back 40, we're going to have six hours of reading, how many people would show up? And so it's okay, man, I got at least one hand. Uh, It's it's okay to be convicted, but here's what I want to challenge you. God didn't want you to leave here guilty today. He didn't want you to reverence him and reverence his word just because you feel guilty about it. In fact, if this morning you're feeling guilty and you're convicted, the same thing that said to the people in Nehemiah would be saying to you, stop your mourning and start rejoicing. If today's the day that you've been convicted, I've been way out of the word of God, I need to live myself under the authority of scripture. I need to have a more reverent, responsive attitude toward the word of God. I'm going to leave here convicted and different. Man, celebrate. This is not the point to to be sad. This is not the point to beat yourself up. We've all done that over and over, right? This is the point to say, you know what? This conviction of God is good. And I'm going to go be changed by the holy, living 
Word of God. This morning, if you need to respond, if today's the day for you to come to Christ, to be baptized, if today's the day for you to recommit yourself, if today you have, you have um, wandered so far from God because you've wandered so far from the Word of God and you need us to pray about this, in a culture that can tell you the Bible is irrelevant and the Bible is boring, we need to be the people who go, no, this is what will actually change our lives. And so today, if we can help you, why don't you come right now while we stand together and sing?